The Game Schooler Podcast, a proud member of the Dice Tower Network, is a weekly audio show that highlights the educational value of tabletop gaming. In this week's episode, we'll cover Love Letter, our recommended game of the week, discuss making your next game session welcoming for new gamers in the School of Gaming, and wrap it up with our high five stock market and speculation games. Welcome to the Game Schooler Podcast. I'm your host, Doug Kotaki. Oh, golly. Kotaki! <laughs> Let me get my own what name up, right. What up, Kotaki? What's happening? Oh, Welcome. that's nice. Welcome to the Game Schooler Podcast. I'm your host, Doug Kotaki. Kotaki. Along okay. with my co-host, Dr. Michael McCabe. How's it going, Michael? Great. I thought you had a name change update or to Kotaki. <laughs> yeah, a lot of follow-up news <laughs> going on. A lot of follow-up. Yeah, like, going to trademark change. that. Yeah. yeah. So what's new, Michael? Well, uh, there's a lot. I don't really quite know where to go on that. Um, very happy day in my house. With It's the last day of the school year, Yay! so a lot of games returned to my house. Oh, yeah, the, the, from the mm-hmm. from the missus. From, huh? Yeah, my wife had a bunch of games, and so I was getting feedback on what was played, you know, selfishly for the podcast and taking copious notes, and World's Fair 1893, well, how, how did this go? And her response was, if they have to read the rules, they're not playing it. Mm -hmm. So basically, Mrs. McCabe has to be able to teach the game and walk away. I thought that's really good feedback because we're talking about high school. We're not talking about (laughs) third to fifth grade here. So, um, But but is that trying to squeeze it into a... a a class period. Oh yeah, yeah. Know, so well, a class period once a week. Yeah, you know, so, on Wednesday afternoons. So, okay. No, um, I was excited to see some of my favorite titles walk back into the house and Micro Macro Crime City. That thing got beat up. <laughs> that game had been played and solved. The kids loved it. The the, the did they at least color in the map? Loved it. No, I don't know. No, they should that, have. As a whole bunch of art students, they should have colored in that map. No, the map looked to be in pretty pristine shape. But anyways, <laughs> I just thought I'd share that with you and, and our listeners. How about you? Oh, I've got so much follow up. We didn't mm-hmm. play very many games. I mean, we played some more Sorrow. We played Pictures. Pylos has been getting played uh, out on the coffee table upstairs. I've been doing plumbing and general house repair uh, as we refinish our laundry room, which is going great, well, by the congratulations. way. Congratulations. Yeah. I'm sure our listeners wanted a real-time update on your laundry they room. They did. Well, yes. and that's why I'm a little disappointed I didn't get more games played. But we've got so much follow-up. Yeah, we do. Um, the first thing is, you know, normally we talk about things that we've acquired. Mm-hmm. And I want to make a sidebar here to just talk about Asmodee had a sale going on recently i think they still do it i don't know when it's ending and it's it was like a last chance sale stuff that they're getting rid of clearing out their warehouse and i just want to make a point that in the online world there are so many games that are available yeah that get discounted and you know and and that there's i guess the point being there are good deals to be had to get some of the games that that either um 
just didn't get the hype or buzz and things like that, that there's still a lot of quality games out there that get discounted. Um, and certainly a place like Noble Knight, we talked about, we've got our coupon code there. Schooler, for, S-C-H-O-O-L-E-R, at yep. checkout. That is how you spell that. And that's at noblenight.com, so you can save 10% there. But I was thinking about, we've done, this is our 75th episode, so we've covered 75 games in a year and a half. And under the current, you know, we just went to that that trade show a couple weeks ago, and they were talking about how 5,000 games yeah, that was the number. are being released each year. And I figured out that basically in the year and a half that we've been doing this podcast yeah. statistically, 7,500 7, games have come out, right. which means that we've covered 1% of those games, and we're not even just pulling games from those that year and a half. We're going back in time farther. So think about that minuscule thing, and think about how many games are coming out every year that there's not enough shelf space for all of them, and that there's so warehouse many... Warehouse space, Doug. Not yeah. just shelf space. <laughs> we're talking about gigantic warehouses. So the... The idea that some games get lost in the shuffle is real. That's yeah. a real thing. And that there are games out there that I would encourage people to explore and kind of look around at some of these sales and the, the clearance sections and things like that. Well, and that, you don't even you don't shop on Facebook Marketplace either, do you? No, because that's a whole different segment where people are constantly flipping games in and out. So Lots so, of places to find games. Yeah, so I just, you know, we're we're talking to educators and families, and we know that money doesn't go as far as it used to, and that looking for deals is, is something that's important, has always been important to me, and I'm, I'm sure important to a lot of our listeners that um, I just wanted to share that those things are out there if you hunt for them. And, uh, you know, you had mentioned, too, the you were surprised that there was a lot of publishers that had games for sale yeah. you know, on their websites. And that's another place that people don't think about is that you know, a, a, a publisher promotes a game when it is brand new, and two years later, if they've still got those copies and it's not going to be an evergreen copy, the publishers are trying to get they rid need of to stuff. Clear them. So there's a lot of uh, places. I think there's a board game geek thread that I follow. If you're into that type of thing, that it goes into my my RSS feed, which is you can follow a thread that's like hot deals, mm -hmm. uh, the hot deals thread on board game. I, geek. I actually unfollowed that about six or eight months ago because it was dangerous. Yeah, I just didn't need, and that's when I set a budget for myself and said <laughs> hundred dollars a month. I'm not going over that and. You know, a third of those are for family games that I'm not necessarily committing to the Game Schooler podcast, which I have completely broken. But well, I, I, I stick to the hundred the best that I can. Um, well, but a, a lot of it is so that we can keep reviewing and playing titles, and and I like to play new games too. Yeah, well, and that's a, it's a great thing for if you've got a game that you're on the lookout for, yeah, and you're waiting for it's like, oh, oh that, this is now on sale. I'm going to get it. Not a shopping list yeah <laughs> you know that type of approach so uh that That's was one dangerous um uh, i needed to follow up on you mind if i keep going no or? keep going man all right so the other thing is last week we put up a video for uh kind of a test thing on marvel united kind of doing a quick skills overview and we got a comment on that video right away on why aren't we doing more what you know you guys have a great setup what, you know that type of thing 
And I, all I can say is we've been flirting with the videos and stuff for a while. And I just want to let people know that we're constantly working on trying to, you know, this is not our full-time right. gig, you know, so we're trying to fit this in and, you know, podcast and video production in off hours. And so we are working on it and we're trying to make it an, an efficient process that we hope you know, we'll represent the quality and stuff like that you've come to expect from from our podcast. So that's out there. If you want to check out that video, like I said, it's more of a test than... Um, yeah, we have a few of those pilot episodes out there that are floating in the interwebs. But over time, we plan to get more video reviews up to go with, with the podcast. We really do appreciate the feedback from folks. Yeah, the other thing too is... <laughs> This is kind of a philosophical thing about our our podcast, but I was looking through Board Game Geek and and get some magazines and and trade magazines and stuff and looking through games of, okay, what might be game schooler appropriate and stuff and just kind of keep my finger on the pulse of what's coming out. And it kind of occurred to me, and I don't know if this needs to be restated or not, but the idea that we are promoting family games, not necessarily kids' games, and that sometimes kids' games are family games, and they are ones that we recommend, but we're also looking at games, and I, the idea of the way I'm thinking about it is is a f- bringing families together that are game... Michael's looking at me like my face is melting. I'm listening, man. Uh, family, families of gamers and non-gamers and bringing those people together. And that encompasses a wide variety of games, not just kids' games. And when we're talking about skills and skill development, subjects, things like that, it doesn't necessarily stop at fourth grade. Yeah. You know, it's into that high school. It's into college. I mean, the amount of things that I feel like I've just gotten better as an adult on various skills through playing board games, it doesn't necessarily just... Maybe stop and things like, yeah, we're not a narrow focus of eight-year-olds to 12-year-olds. Yeah, that's that's an interesting point because we have talked in the past about educational games You know, that are focused for an activity in the school setting. And I think you're touching on an adjacent topic of kids' games that three- to five-year-old or eight- to 12. And, yeah, we're well, – we're, yeah, and, I, I, and part of it comes from looking at games and there's themes of, you know, you talk about something like Micro Macro Crime City or, you know, a lot of detective games where there's some sort of crime you need to solve. And my first instinct is, oh, we can't do that. And then I'm thinking, well, no, we're also part of our brand here is about bringing families together. Yep. And that means if I can get grandma and grandpa and my 13-year-old and... You know, my neighbor down the street who doesn't play games to come in and play this game, it's That's still a, viable. Yeah. You know, now obviously we're not going to recommend something with gobs of gore in it. You know, that's not part of it, but just that whole idea of we're talking about education and family and bringing families together and playing games. And I think our school of gaming segment later will will touch on some of this, but the idea of bringing non gamers to the table. And there's a certain weight, you know, when we talk about weight of the complexity of a game, that fits in that realm. Yeah. And I think that's more of what I think about when I think about the games that we talk about and are sharing 
is more of a complexity level than maybe necessarily a subject matter or in uh, a simplified kids game type of yeah. thing. It it can't go above this because then you're going to knock people out. So I just some thoughts that I had that I wanted to share. Um, and the last thing we got a, a shout out from Mike. Counselor Mike. Counselor we have a Mike. few Mikes that are fans. Uh, but Counselor Mike, and he enjoyed the convention episode. Yeah. So it, is, Well, you and I read that a little bit differently. So he enjoyed the convention episode, but what else did he say in that email? Doug and I bicker and banter over what people are telling us in emails often. So Michael this will and, be a little real-time conversation. Yeah, yeah, Michael this is and like I, a behind-the-scenes uh, at the Game Schooler HQ here. Michael and I will get an email and... We both have completely different interpretations on what the person meant by when they were emailing it. So go ahead. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to read the second sentence word for word, okay? okay? I really enjoy and get a lot out of your regular format, recommendations, ideas, and encouragement, comma. Yeah. But your excitement about new offerings from the makers was fun. Yeah. So I'm, ta- I'm taking the first part of that sentence as to... Stick with the regular <laughs> scheduled broadcast. Next time you're traveling or going to a show, double up and maybe do a special episode <laughs> on top of the regular episode. You read it differently? I read it that he enjoys our regular thing, and it was a nice break. Well, And our enthusiasm was put it over the top for him. Yeah, I love this. Another sentence here from Counselor Mike. I know that silver and gold is in the game box, probably sleeping queens too. So, boy, if I ran into you at the music festival that you're at with my family, Mike, we'd have a good old time. So I hope, hope you really enjoy it enjoy your uh your vacation and and we appreciate you listening and reaching out to us uh, well and he I, I put down here on my note really getting after it he's really taking what we're doing to heart and implementing well, he's doing it. it yeah this guy's you know. a game schooler extraordinaire so good for you mike we appreciate it um let's see I covered that. That anything else you want to cover? Well, I. How long do you want this the intro to go? I can push some into next week. I have a lot to go over. I think go over it. Um, got a game to the table with my oldest kiddo that I really enjoy. But even in listening to the Family Gamers podcast and in our discussions about this game, it's a little too long, is what some folks have been saying. But mm. this game is is meeples and monsters. Might not make a recommended list because it, it does push towards that uh, 90 minutes. But we, we set a timer, played for an hour, and absolutely loved it. And so that's something that I'm thinking about for a future School of Gaming episode of do, do you have to complete the game? And so just some things there that I've been um, kind of, I don't know. What musing about? Musing, noodling. <laughs> I just hate the word noodling, so I was trying to come up with a different phrase for it. Um, Let me check the thesaurus. What do you got? What do you got? Brainstorming. There we go. Thanks, yes. Doug. So just some <laughs> things that I've been mulling, thinking about. Mulling over. No, I don't like that phrase either. Pondering. Pondering's a good one. I like that. <laughs> All right. So that was um, that. That was a fun one to get to the table. And the other thing, Doug, I got to tell you, I'm in learning overwhelm. I've got some titles that have come into the house lately. It's taking me two and three hours to digest the rules, and then a solo play of the games are two to three hours. So it's wonderful. This hobby is great, but my goodness, it's uh, there. There's a lot with some of the games. Learning, learning. I'm a little bit of a growth space, learning overwhelm space. 
You want to hear some of the titles or no? It, sure. It's immersive. It can it, be immersive. It really is. Dead Reckoning, Ark Nova, My Father's Work, Carnegie, Hadrian's Wall. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm, I'm taking one game at a time and trying to say, okay, every three weeks I'm going to get this game to the table so I can learn it. I don't know what for, but I'm enjoying it. So we'll <laughs> leave it at that. Yeah, we have a different learning process. Yeah, that's that's interesting. That is a full weekend if you ever played all of those together. No, 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 no. One at a time. That that's that's a full season. <laughs> that's a, I, I said one of those games takes me three weeks. So you, you won't have a brain after have some, if you played two of those in a row. Some sharing to talk about for future segments. But I'm enjoying it. And thank you to Noble Knight for clearing space because I was able to get rid of some games that I wasn't playing and make space for these. Yeah, that's a another good feature of Noble Knight that they will buy uh, old games for store credit. So if you are interested in that, uh, that's something to look out. Uh, the only other thing I have is to make sure if you're enjoying this, you enjoy our podcast, you enjoy we're, what we're doing, please share it with somebody else that you think mm-hmm. may be interested in what we're doing. Uh, leave a review for us on whatever podcast platform you're listening to us. And if you have questions or comments, anything like that, make sure to reach out to us. Email at gameschooler.com is where you can reach us, um, is the best place to reach us. We also have a contact form on our website, gameschooler.com, which is another great resource if you're looking for our recommended games, things like that. Those are all listed there. So, And you can hit us on Twitter, too. We might will yep. respond and retweet back. Gameschooler, you. Uh, all right. So that is all we've got there. Let's move on to the recommended game of the week. The Recommended Game of the Week. The Recommended Game of the Week is a family-friendly podcast. We think we... <laughs> Full of blunders uh, this week. Yeah, man, I went off script. I'll, I'll get back to script here. Because you want I me to restart? Like, no, no. We'll just go roll with it. I, I was trying to go live, getting ready for the video that's coming up in a couple of weeks. But folks, let me tell you about the Recommended Game <laughs> of the Week. It's a family-friendly game we think you should add to your collection. And it passes our stringent criteria for quality and content. This week's game has 19 different versions. It is Love Letter by Z-Man Games. Doug, give us the stats. All right. Well, it was originally released in 2012. It was re-released in 2019, which is the version you can get today. The designer is Sejay Kanai uh, with additional design from Justin Companion and Alexander Ortloff. Uh, and I think they are involved in the new edition that came out in 2019 because there are some slight rules changes. The art is by Andrew Bosley and Samuel R. Shimoda. Two to six players, 20 minutes, ages 10 and up. Board Game Geek says eight and up. I don't know about that. I, I do. You think so? Yeah. I mean, I guess once you get over the, the initial little text hung, hump, yeah, it's probably pretty easy. But I did want to make a special note of this of the amount of awards this game has won. And usually I don't bring up nominations. So these are all winning things. Yeah, okay. So the only point. the only nomination on here is that it was a Spiel de Jar is recommended. It was the 2014 Origins Award Best Traditional Card Game winner. And then Golden Geek, which is voted on by the board game geek users, this is pretty impressive. The the amount of categories that this spans over so listen to this it was the golden geek winner for in 2013 for the most innovative board game the best party board game the best family board game and the best card game 
It was also a 2019 Diana Jones Award for Excellence in Gaming nominee. So that's a pretty crazy pedigree. How do you think the designer was feeling when those started to come in? Cha-ching, cha-ching, (laughs) cha-ching. Well, and just uh, you have to feel good as an artist is what I'm saying. As a a game designer, to see that level of recognition, that had to feel great. Well, and this was a game that that spawned a whole genre of micro games, the concept of micro games, which we'll get into in a second. But according to the publisher, playing cards one at a time, players in Love Letter use the abilities of these key people in their princess's life to outwit their opponents and successfully deliver their letter to gain her favor. Players must utilize each character's special skill to avoid being caught and successfully deliver their letter to the princess. Once a set number of favor tokens are acquired, that player wins and becomes the princess's confidant. Yeah. So this is a game with the original one, I think, had 18 cards that has expanded a little bit. To 21 in the 2019 version. And the only thing that you're doing on this turn, or on your turn in this game, is you have one card in your hand. You start with one card. You draw a card. And then you are going to play one of the two cards in your hand. That's it. The the crux of the game comes in with the card that you play there's an ability on every card that allows you uh it gives you an action or something to do with the goal of either guessing what card your opponents have and then potentially eliminating them or being the last one in the round so if you knock everyone else out you win you win a round or if the round ends and all the cards have been dispersed, if you have the highest value card at the end, you get a favor token. Uh, there's a, a n- new one in the um, the new ver- an- another variation in the new version that you can get a favor token if you play have played a spy card and win the round. And if it sounds like Doug may be a little confused, it's just that he's balancing four different versions at in once. In my brain, uh, no, on the table we have the Batman <laughs> version. Uh, we have a Marvel, is that the Infinity Gauntlet version? It is, yes. You have the original from 2012, which looks like it has been well-loved and sleeved. Yes. And then I have the 2019 version that I picked up last night, so I would be prepared for the podcast today. Yes. So there, there is a lot that's happening in this little game, isn't there, Doug? Yeah. I mean, if you don't mind, I'd like to... Don't mind at all? You want to see the reference card? Yeah. I want to go through what some of these abilities are. Good. Um, Smart. So the the highest card value, and there's one of these, is the princess. And if somebody forces you to discard that or play that card, you, you lose. lose. You're out of the round. Um, if at the end of the round you have that card... You win. You win, yeah. The countess is the number eight card... And you must play that if you have the king or the prince. So if you pick up the king or the prince on your turn and you had the countess in your hand, you must play the countess down. That tells everybody else that's playing that you have the king or a prince. Exactly. And everything is open. So to our listeners who haven't played Love Letter, what we mean by that, everything that is played or discarded is played or discarded face up. Yep. The only hidden information is in the cards that haven't been drawn yet or what's in my actual hand. In the single yeah, the the single card in your hand. Uh the king number 7 allows you to trade hands. So for example, if I knew that Michael had the princess because for example, maybe I played the priest, which is card number 2 and I could look at somebody else's hand, uh I may want to trade with them. Mm-hmm. Um, I may want to trade hands if somebody thinks that I have the king because I've just discarded the countess. I may want to trade that away right away. 
Uh, the Chancellor, number six, there's two of these in the deck. You can draw three cards and return two of them to the bottom, to the bottom of the deck. In the order that you choose, yep. Uh, the Prince allows you to discard a hand and redraw. Uh, and that's choosing any player, including yourself. So, for example, if I knew Michael had the princess, I could force him to discard his hand and draw a new one, thereby eliminating him from the round. Uh, the Handmaid, there's two of these cards in the deck. That's number four. That allows you to kind of be immune until your next turn, so yeah, nobody can attack you. it's a free turn you. without harm. Uh, the Baron uh, lets you compare hands with another player, and whoever has the highest card stays in the round. The other one is eliminated. So if you knew somebody had a one or a two, uh, you could potentially eliminate them there. The the number two is the priest, which we already talked about. Look at an opponent's hand. Uh, number one is a guard. There's six of them. Now, the guards um, cannot be selected. So basically, you're guessing what somebody you, else yeah, has. Yeah, you're guessing. It's the go fish card. So uh, it's, hey, Doug, do you have the princess? And if Doug says no, then nothing happens. done. Uh, and you cannot guess a, that another, another person has a guard. Yeah. So, and so there are six of those out of the 21 cards in the deck. Yeah, and so then if, if, if I asked Michael if he had the Countess and he did, Michael's going to be out of the round. Um, and there's some variation in the Batman one. If you successfully do that action, you get an extra favor token. Uh, and then the last one is two zero cards, which uh, you gain— Spies. Or, yeah, which are spies, and you gain favor if no one else plays or discards a spy in the round, and you you win there. So that's the game. I you know that may have been overkill, but I, I kind of feel like there it is. Now you kind of know how to play the game, and throwing yeah. that out there. Uh, there are a lot of variations, as Michael said. There's a Star Wars one that's coming out, and. Um, but let's explain why there are variations. The simplicity yep. and the deduction that are in this game make it fun. Yeah. I have not had a game played at my house that brought this level of universal joy with such a quick teach since we played Silver and Gold a year, year and a half ago for the first time as a family. Yeah. Cards getting flipped out, people taking actions thinking about what to do next. And so I can see why it just fits with so many different intellectual properties. Yeah. Even, uh, you know, my my kid and their friend were talking about the different IPs that would work. Well, Pokemon and this and that. And Josie was just going to town thinking about all the different versions of Love Letter. And I looked it up on Board Game Geek in my phone while, while they're talking about it. There's already 19 of them, yeah. <laughs> you know? So. Yeah. I think the the simple gameplay is is huge. The idea of that all all you have to explain really to get started is you draw a card and you play a card, and we'll kind of go from there. Mm-hmm. You know, is is on the very basic level. The other thing I like about this is there's a level of, and we don't we have I don't know if we've ever talked about this on the podcast yet, but the idea of there's meta gaming that goes on in this game. Yeah, throw it down, Doug. As you play throughout rounds. There's that interaction between players that you're trying to start reading them, and there's stuff that happened around before that kind of carries over. Not in a gameplay-wise, there's nothing. It's not like it's a campaign game where you're, you know, the actions of one are carrying over the other. But it's the way somebody looked at a card. There's a way that, oh, you knocked me out last time with a guard. Now I'm going to try and get you back. Oh, you have a terrible poker face. Yeah, that type (laughs) of stuff that that really adds this other layer to the game 
that enhances it above just the simple gameplay. Yeah. Which I think I think when you talked about that much fun, that's where the fun comes yeah. out. The game is so simple that you really are looking at everybody else. What are they doing? What cards do they have? Those type of things that elevate the game to a to a certain extent. Well, and I think the designer has done an excellent job with choosing, or the publisher, whoever chose the artist. I mean, when mm-hmm. I was playing, I, I, I said right away, I think this is the same artist that did Everdell. You know, I was looking at the cards, and I looked it up, and sure enough, Andrew Bosley mm-hmm. is one of the artists uh, on this newer version. And that stood out to us right away, too. You know, Josie said... The art in this is really cool. The spy looks like a spy. You know, it has that mischievous eye contact. We've talked about that in our podcast before, but it matters. And you know yeah. what? It matters to kids because kids have a really good sense of of art and a design eye in the era that they're they're growing up in. It's a little bit different than I would equate it to I was used to Topps baseball cards, and when Upper Deck came out with the high gloss, I was like, oh, my gosh, what is that? A hologram yeah, card? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but they, that draws some of the younger gamers in as well, I think. And well, I, yeah. I mean, when I think about games that I played in school growing up, 85% of them were, were made on a copy machine and cut out. You know, they looked like little crafts. Um so I think you're spot on there, the amount that that elevates a game, yeah. right? It brings it yeah. up to a different level. The other thing that's awesome about this game is it's extremely portable. Yeah. You know, if you want a game that you can take to a, a restaurant while you're waiting, um, you want to take it to a, a pub. Yeah. <laughs> you know, this is a great game that once people are familiar with it, it can become that let's sit around, watch a football game, and play this game at the same time. You can do both things. Um, without taking very much away from the game. Um, yeah, no, that's a good point, too. The other thing I love about this game is it's one of those games that when you get done playing it, and certainly after every round, let's play again. Right. Let's do it again. You know, I and it goes so fast that you're like, you know, you can play four or five games without even realizing it in an hour because it's just like, let's do it again. Let's do it again. I think I can do it, you know. Um, and that's a great great aspect to a game too, right? The thing they're like, I want to keep bringing this to the table. Well, and I want to jump in on that from a, a memory standpoint. When did we first play the Batman Love Letter? Is that two months ago? Yeah, probably Ish. a month ago. A month yeah. ago? Yeah. Okay. And so then I bought this version last night, and within two minutes of opening it up, it – and the complexity is really low. It's a 1.19 out of 5. So yeah. it's an easy game. But the game came right back to me. And, I mean, it was instantly, Josie, sit down, let, let's play. And I think from a, a teacher standpoint, you have so many things going on in your day. This is a game that can live on your desk, in your desk, on your bookshelf. And with some Could of live other... in, a, in, like, a house by a mouse? There you go. I wasn't going there. <laughs> uh, but I'm glad you did. That was good. I feel good about that. <laughs> It's one that you'll remember to teach is what I'm trying to get at. Yeah. The the long point to nowhere that I'm attempting to make on our show, the Game Schooler podcast <laughs> here, is that this is one where you can you can teach it easily to people. Yeah. So uh, because it's memorable. Yeah. Do you have any concerns? No. About this game, the only thing that I would be is I, I guess the theme 
you know, but there's enough different variations of Star Wars and Marvel and new stuff coming out all the time that, that I don't you're trying to deliver a love letter to a princess or what theme that that you could get taken out. What what's the concern? No, just that if somebody looks at the the theme of of medieval characters like eh, I'm not really interested. In that. Oh, but, but my, I'm not worried about that. But my point is, is that there are other versions of it. So yeah. if you have a Star Wars fan, you can get into the Star Wars love letter version, which is called Jabba's Palace. So I, it's not a concern. I'm just saying that I'm reiterating that there are more options available. You know, Doug, if, it's funny, and I will interrupt you because it is funny. I had that concern kind of until I actually opened it up and saw the rule book, and I don't have that concern. After playing the game with my with my kid, you know, and and and, and her friend, and, and I think it's a book by a, the cover type of thing. Yeah, where it's yeah. like once somebody plays it, I think all of those concerns go away immediately. But go seeing away. it on the shelf, you know, or in the store, it's Check like out this new rule book that they. It's just oh yeah, so I mean clean. it's it's gorgeous. I mean, yeah. it, but I think sitting on the shelf, I can see. Some people being like, eh, yeah. what are you getting me into here? Not my concern. But if you play it, I think those go away. So you're probably wondering, how can a game with 20 cards... Oh, by the way, this did st- start off the... There's a whole trend of micro card games. 18 card card games, yes. Brawlopolis, yeah. Tussie Mussy. And and those came way later. Yeah, I'm yeah. Talking those like are in the last couple of years. Right, right after right, right. this came out, it was this big push... And you know what? How many of those we're talking about? None. None of them have survived. I just talked about two. But those are not part of that thing. I know. I know what you're saying. Uh, they were not part of that push right after Love Letter came out. When did Tussie Mussy come out? I think 2019, but so I'd have a to seven, check. It's a seven-year difference. I'm talking about games that came out in 2013 and 14 once Love Letter won all these awards and people were going goo-goo gaga over, oh, you can have a game that fits in your pocket and it can be a huge success. Um, there Great a... success. Uh, Tussie Mussy is 2019. Yay, good pull. And that's Elizabeth Hargrave, the same yeah. designer of Wingspan. And so cool they, game. they had seven years to come up with a, a good thing that, that worked, but there was a gluttony of games that came out right after this that tried to do it, and none of them have matched what this one did uh, when it's it a came out. Yeah. So, how can a game with 20 cards have skill development built in? You kidding me? <laughs> Rhetorical question. Real question. Okay. All right. Well, go ahead. The way you were making eye contact, I was like, "Oh, you, you want yeah, an answer?" Yeah. Tell me. I've got none. No. Well, my, I've got my a four core, to five. Yeah. My core skill coming into today, and I would imagine you have it somewhere on your list, is comprehension. A game that requires players to perceive and understand concepts, ideas, functions, how the game works, rules, and mechanisms. The comprehension in this game is I'm trying to deduce what the other players have based on the information that is in front of me. The game is a constant match of comprehension. Am I able to figure out what's going on? Yeah, I've got, uh, I don't have that on my list, but I have a trifecta of core skills that I think just... You brought three to the party? Well, they all punched me in the face. Yeah, let's hear it. And they all lead into each other. The first one is observation, which you need to know what's on the table and... Well, the observation really comes in with watching what the other players are doing. How long did they take to think about what card they wanted to put down? Did they struggle with that? What cards are in front of them? What cards have they played before? That type of thing is watching the other players. The other part of that is processing information. 
figuring out, and there's always one card that's taken out of the deck before you start the round, so you don't know. Yep. The princess might not even be in the game that you're playing. So you have to look at the table and see, oh, Michael's got these cards in front of him, or he just laid down a countess. Why would he do that? Mm-hmm. You know, those type of things that you've got to process the information, uh, which is a game in which players must examine or analyze information. Uh, the observation definition, by the way, is a game that rewards careful watching of details and behaviors in order to understand or arrive at a judgment. And the last part is even though it's a small thing and you have two cards, the decision-making is a game that uh, uh, allows players to make decisions based on currently or previously available information, where there's sometimes where I might throw away this five just to kind of throw people off, or I'm going to put this down and, and guess somebody, or, you know, those decisions that you're making from two simple, two cards, the choice between two cards is a really cool decision yeah. that you're making in well, the game. The, and the tension. Yeah. Yeah, I have I, I have risk management um, as well. Can I jump in here on yeah, that one? Yeah, and that's a game in which players must identify, evaluate, and prioritize options to reduce the impact of unfortunate events or risks. And where I see this, the game is is different in a two player, a four player, a three player. I, I I'm guessing because I've only played the game at three player. I guess I should lead with that. But there's a risk of. Um, if I play the, uh, who's the guy that lets me, if I play the priest, right. And if I look at hands or the Baron to compare hands. So if I have both of those, if I have the two and the three in my hand, which one do I want to play? And that, that little tiny risk happens on every single turn Mm -hmm. because it's not just the risk of putting the card out in front and letting people know what I'm going to do but I don't want to pick on somebody. <laughs> if Doug feels like I'm picking on him, now I'm going to be the first one taken out. Yeah. So there's some of that risk in there as well. Yeah, no, that's a great one. What else do you have? And on that, it's persuasion. I'm, I'm trying to... Can, uh, and persuasion is a game in which players are encouraged to convince others through reasoning. So how I lay cards out and how I look to see what other players have um, especially if I get the princess early game, I'm actively trying to persuade people that I don't have the princess <laughs> because if the princess comes out, I lose. A lot of cold so sweats in this game. There's there's Meat a little sweats. bit of of the poker aspect though, you yeah. know, and it's it, yeah, that it's bluffing. there and it's not there in a lot of the other games that we've had. And I've tried to justify this skill in other games, but I I felt that playing today and even when we played uh, the Batman version a month ago. Yeah. Another one that I've got is competition, a game that develops develops healthy competitive habits as two or more parties compete for a goal or a reward that isn't shared. So this one with the fast rounds, uh, knocking players out, and that type of thing, that the competition is really good in this yeah. one. It's not a cutthroat there's never a mean fun a mean spiritedness about it it's let's get in the arena and compete right yeah, and it's almost like oh you got me there yeah i'm coming back yeah. yeah and i have a tandem skill that i feel like goes in lockstep with competition from a game schooling perspective and that's confidence a game that promotes and increases a player's trust in their abilities and qualities and truly a game you can play with other people's kids. Mm-hmm. And you can see 
the the confidence starting to emerge from round to round as people get comfortable playing the game. Yeah, the last one I've got is uh, goes hand in hand with that <laughs> the reverse, which is resilience. You know, with people getting knocked out and it's like, oh, the guard picked me. But because the rounds are so fast and you're going into to another um, another round right away, and none of it seems vindictive. You know, a lot of times the if you get knocked out by a guard, it's a blind guess. It's not because anybody knew exactly what you had. And sometimes you compare and it's like, oh, I just happened to have a, a two and he had a three and that's how it works, you know. So it's like I think those this game provides quick recovery time. Um Resilience a game. Did I teach? No, I've, I've got that skill sure. here. It's a game that teaches players how to quickly recover from and cope with difficulties. It's also my last skill. Sure. And I, I saw it from a different angle. The catch-up mechanism in this game, at least in playing with, with three players, is whoever's close to winning is going to get beat up on, right? Mm. Yeah. So in a three-player game, five favor, the first one to get five of these little favor chips. You hear that, folks? That was my favorite chip bouncing off the table. Wins. Keep well, your favorite chips off my table. All right, all right. I didn't scratch it. <laughs> no. But if, if I mean, I had an early lead in the game. I, I got to four pretty fast, and then it slowed down. Mm-hmm. So I had to kind of hang in there as the other players were beating me up, making sure that I wouldn't get that fifth favorite token. So there's resilience from that standpoint, too. It's not an easy win. If you get a quick lead, the other players are going to do what they can do. They're going to compete and ensure that you don't get that W. Yeah. All right. So there's some uh, skills for you. Love letter, a great game. Michael, you just picked this up. How much did you buy it for? I got a 1095 at Barnes & Noble with an educator discount. I don't mean to hurt the feelings of Noble Knight, but I was there last night. <laughs> I was doing some writing for our book, and I did not feel prepared for the podcast. The other thing that I was grateful for, like I said, is how easy it was to teach, and it came back. As we have chronicled over and over, I'm not the best at teaching games to my own family. My style of teaching drives them nuts. Uh, but this was one that I was able to easily teach and had a blast playing just before the podcast today. So 1095 with tax. <laughs> yeah. And so there, that seems to be a, a running thing. The mm-hmm. 10 to $15, depending on what version you get you're that getting. 20% so. educator discount from Barnes and Noble, which is, which is nice. Which well, probably a lot of our listeners have. Yep. So, um, so that is love letter, a great game and 20 cards, uh, that we wholeheartedly recommend this week gonna pack it up and put it in my shirt pocket so it doesn't get confused here with these other beautiful versions <laughs> hey before we move on though yeah uh, tell our because i know we have some marvel fans uh uh how how's that version how's it play differently or should i, we I have on? yet to play it actually oh, looks it, like after the podcast we it, have a post review of the review <laughs> it is a uh i believe it is a one versus many version of love letter with the same type of thing it's got a little bit of a cooperative element for the people that are playing the heroes and the other person is playing thanos trying to collect the infinity stones and do you have the hobbit version i can borrow or is that i do not but i was just looking online and there's a santa version (laughs) (laughs) you get your your letters to santa so oh cool that is love letter a recommended game of the week let's move on to the school of gaming The School of Gaming. In the School of Gaming, we discuss concepts, keywords, etiquette, and helpful ideas in the world of gaming and education. 
This week, we'll be, we'll be discussing making your next game session welcoming for new gamers. Yeah, this was something that we had to do a little shop talk here and, and just kind of figure out where we wanted to go or uh, what the, the aim of, of trying to be as, as broad and narrow simultaneously in this topic. Well, and in the intro segment, when you were talking about the aim of the Game Schooler podcast and GameSchooler.com, I almost gave away all my notes for this. <laughs> so I'm glad we're going to spend a few minutes and talk about it here. Yeah, so we talked about the idea of this segment had a couple of variations of whether this was for game nights or this was for after school programs or in the classroom or where this worked. And we broadened it out to just your next game session and welcoming new gamers, whether that's neighbors or non-gamers that are coming to a game uh, game uh, after school game board game club for the first time, uh, that type of thing. So what do you got, Michael? What are some of your... Well, your ideas. And I thought about it too from the aspect of if I am having a friend over and we need another player and they're going to bring a friend with them that one doesn't know me and two certainly doesn't play any modern tabletop board games. Mm-hmm. So I was really thinking about it from that standpoint as an adult all the way down to the school level in trying to thread that needle. So that that's kind of where I'm coming from. You're bringing non-gamers to the party or you have kids walking into your classroom who haven't played games. I think the first thing is have the game set up. And we just talked about Love Letter. Actually have the the cards out in front with the the little tokens and everything. I think that's important. Uh, So you're not spending time justifying the game, right? If the game's already set up, I don't have to get the game set up and tell people how awesome the game is because it's already set up. Yeah. Uh, Keep going. Well, I jumping in on that. No, I agree with that. As as something that I have is is have the game set up and ready to go. I think you're great point on there of not having to sell the game mm-hmm. on top of that. The other thing I, I think just to rewind a little bit is don't overwhelm new gamers with complex games. You know, when it's like you're talking... So Ark Nova doesn't need to be the, the very first game that people play? There you but go. building a zoo is awesome. Yeah, and that's, you know, Michael's laundry list of, of brain-melting games at the beginning of the podcast that's like... As a gamer, you're excited about those, and I want to play them. And I've done this before, so I'm speaking from experience. You've done this to me before. (laughs) That it's like you're really excited, you want to share something, and you need to know your audience. Now, Michael, you are a doctor of education. I assume that you could yeah, handle it. Yeah, but I didn't know complex... I was going to get eaten by the shark and go home sad. <laughs> Seventh continent, ladies I, and I gentlemen, I didn't know you were gonna... inside joke. <laughs> Just for more background reference, Michael's character was bleeding and decided to go back into the water to fight the shark. So, Not a good idea. <laughs> poor risk so, management. Getting back to the segment at hand, uh, the other thing that I think is really important is being an expert in teaching a handful of games to create those high gamer engagement opportunities, two that we just talked about in the last segment, Love Letter and Silver and Gold. You know, now, and I have a handful of other games, but these are just great games I'll play anywhere. We can get them out of my wife's purse or out of the glove box in the car and just start playing. Yeah. And, and I think that that's important when you're trying to get people trying to get people into games i think that's a really an important thing yeah and i think when you're planning out a game or the games that you're going to play is 
really taking time to plan out how you're going to teach the game ahead of time and focusing on, okay, imagine I am that new gamer. What are the things that I actually need to know right from the start? Is there a way that I can start playing right away without doing a 20-minute rules teach? And quite frankly, if you're playing a game that needs a 20-minute rules teach, probably not a great game for new gamers. Nope. But I think there is something of taking five a, minutes, five rules. Taking a step back and saying, okay, what does the person need to know right away? How mm-hmm. can I get them moving and playing immediately as opposed to sitting and waiting around? Yeah, the last thing that I have is flexibility. And mm-hmm. another way of saying this is don't be a jerkhead. You, you, you Don't be the rules guy. Right. If somebody is a new gamer and if they play it wrong or if they do something on their turn and as soon as their turn is done, they want to alt undo and redo. Be flexible. Yeah. Let people do that. When we're bringing new gamers to the table and we want to be have engaging opportunities and we want more people and the, the diversity of the people that's playing, that's our strength. If that's what we're doing. Then you got to be flexible. You're playing with people who may not have played games before. Yeah, right. And, yeah, and I've got that same thing. But I, I put having patience. That's you good. know having patience with the 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 new players that maybe are taking a little bit longer than everybody else. You know when it goes uh, player one's turn, players two turn, player three turn, and then it gets to four and it stalls for a little bit because they're a new gamer. Don't make a big deal out of it yeah. and just and, and help them when they can. I think that's one thing that. Uh, I think you've pointed out when you first started coming around, we may have thrown you in there with the sharks, yeah. but we're also patient and helpful and, and going along. Um, my, <laughs> most of us. Um, my memory serves otherwise. but No, you don't going. think so? No, yeah. Certain players were. We're not going there. Yeah. Keep the podcast moving here, DJ. <laughs> okay. Uh, the, the other thing, why are we talking about this now in the School of Gaming? In real time, we are in June in Wisconsin. One school year is wrapping up, but people are always planning what their next school year is going to be. And so for me, I'm, I'm going to be running an after-school program, a, a board game club, and this is something that I've really been thinking about. How can I make sure that somebody who's walking by that classroom, walking by that library, who says, oh, yeah, that guy coaches basketball. I, I think I'll stop by. How do I make sure that it's the most welcoming environment possible for that 12, 13, 14-year-old kid? And I think if the game is set up, if you're an expert in teaching a handful of games, and if you're flexible, that gamer will come back for a second time. And I think those exact same rules that apply to an after-school program in a middle school also apply to a game group. And mm-hmm. people will come back for that second, third time. And I'm an example of that, Doug, because yeah. the, Must not the have shark, been too bad, Michael. No, the, the shark did gnaw my arm <laughs> off, and I went home, but I came back the next week. Yeah. Uh, the only last thing I have is, and this is post-game, but accepting that other players might not share your opinions on a game. Oh, yeah. You know, so it's like you can play this game. You got it set up. You think it's great. It's been a hit with everybody else. Sometimes people just don't like certain games. And truth, that's... It's just going to happen. And so that's a a situation where it's like I can feel um, people being very passionate about the games that they like and then being a little heavy-handed 
to somebody that's new that maybe didn't like it. Well, you really should like this game, and I'm going to tell you why. Yeah. That's what you want to avoid, yes. right? Yes. yes. So I think that's that that final wrap-up into making sure that somebody comes back is, oh, you didn't like that? Well, then you're kind of wrong because Board Game Geek said this is a number five-rated game. Um, so uh, that's the last one I have. Michael's writing large notes. All right. Anything else on that one? Nope. Okay. So hopefully those are some good tips for you to make your next game session welcoming to new gamers. Let's move on to the high five. If you're anything like us, you're constantly on the hunt for new games to try out. And this week we reveal our personal high five list of family-friendly stock market or speculation games. For those of you that don't know what stock markets are, that is a economic... No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) The stock market is buying stocks, selling them later, trying to make a profit. And speculation, uh, as far as speculation games, is similar to the same concept, but more along the lines of goods and, and resources as opposed yeah. to stocks you know I'm so buying a good at a certain price or value and speculating that it will go up when i sell it later yeah like baseball cards there you so go. that type of thing so michael how is this list for you good good it's right. a fun list to put together how about you i think we're gonna have a fair amount of crossover probably probably i i have one honorable mention i brought five to the party one Oof. i know you're gonna beat me up on pretty good how about you because it's not a legitimate stock market game. no because i haven't actually played it yet and i think that's a great place for <laughs> us to start but i have been deep in the rules and this game i'm fairly certain will be a school of gaming game in itself much as the way that freedom the underground railroad has been and um one that we have coming up next week as well uh, but that's Carnegie, 2022 release. Designer is Javier Georges. Artist is Ian O'Toole. Publisher is Quinid Games. That's with a Q. I probably mispronounced it, but I did listen to a different podcast today where they pronounced it like that. So I'm going with it. One to four players, two to three hours, Doug. So won't be recommended by us. Ages 12 plus, and the community says 14 plus. Another reason why it probably won't make our cut and the weight. So that's is... going to be part of your after school program, right? No, 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 no. This is <laughs> the a sleepover part, night. This is a part of my July. The weight is 3.83 out of five. I got into the rules and I thought, I, I'm not learning and soloing Arc Nova and Carnegie at the same time in the same month. But when I, I watched a video tutorial of it being played, the game looks fantastic. You're Andrew Carnegie and you are. There's a mechanism in there where you have to give away, just like you know, our library system is in, in the United States is built by Andrew Carnegie in a lot of different ways. Um, so that's a long rant about a game that I haven't played, but it made my list because I'm very certain that over the next year you and I are going to get to play it and it will be a school of gaming segment. Now, question, so. is your honorable mention a game that you've played? <laughs> yes. Okay, I'm just <laughs> clarifying for everybody else out there that he's put a, a game on his list that he hasn't played. Well, and you get into that call to the new, but I've been reading the rules and and I, I got the deluxe it's edition like you, off. Kitchen. It's like you've it played looks, it. It's awesome. And it just all fits. Oh, I he's virtually played it in his mind. Yeah. Uh, all right. My number five is Irish Gage, published in 2014. Capstone Games designer Amabel Holland. Three to five players, 60 minutes, ages 12 and up. Uh, this is a... Artist is also Ian you know, O'Toole. Tool, yeah. Dominating the list so far. Uh, Irish Gage is a game in which you 
uh, are acquiring stocks, bidding for stocks, and then building railroads across Ireland and connecting them to make them more valuable. And eventually dividends are being paid out by how valuable the route is. Is yep. that a good yep. explanation? It's a, um, it's in the vein of a, a much heavier game in an approachable way. Yeah. Right. There's a yeah. lot of uh, train games that are the 18xx that are three, four hours long, super complicated, really economic. This kind of distills it down into a nice, convenient package. Good. So I'm assuming this will be on your list later. You can fill in any gaps I have. Oh, you did a good job not allowing me to jump in there because I know you hate that. We'll stay in order here. Um, <laughs> coming in at number four for me is Monopoly. And before some of our listeners can turn us off or take away my gamer card, I I don't know how I couldn't put this on my list, even though I haven't played it in 25 years. But I played more Monopoly from 5 to probably... 13 or 14 then i played a lifetime worth of monopoly in those years and and it was all a single game folks well (laughs) (laughs) the we i don't know if we need too much of a description i didn't even put it down because of all the different years and versions but i mean you're going around the board you're you're buying properties hoping to flip them later on if not you're gonna charge rent on people there's so many different house rules and people play it differently but uh it's a game that's on my list. Played a lot of it. You know what? If somebody wanted to play Monopoly tomorrow, yeah, I'll sit down and play. You know, not gonna get kickback from me. Okay, where is it? Were you waiting for that? No, I just think it, it has a little bit of a, a bad vibe in the in the hobby, in the gamer hobby. But when I talk about Game Schooler and what we're doing, people will say like, "Oh, like Monopoly?" I'll say. Yeah, and the, the Monopoly is a game that is played in schools and by families. There's a lot of other titles. So it's just, you know, it it's a lightning rod. We'll put it that way. Yeah, exactly. I wasn't anticipating kickback from you, but I know out there, some of our listeners, I'm getting some kickback right now, Doc. <laughs> Screaming <laughs> yeah. at their, their radio their, through their iPhone. You're wrong, Michael! Or right. Android, whatever people <laughs> like to have. Well, those... I guess probably people that like Monopoly probably have Android phones, <laughs> too. Come on now, stop. <laughs> I kid oh. because I love them. All right, number four. Airlines Europe, 2011 Rio Grande Games from LNR Moon. Two to five players, 75 minutes, 10 and up. So Airlines Europe, uh, we played this as uh, couples a couple months ago. In this game, you are acquiring stock in airlines and then expanding those routes, making them more valuable, similar to Irish gauge, but um, trying to think what the difference would be in those. I think the acquiring of well, the, the payout is, is more defined in. So in Irish gauge, you can call for dividends as an action. I can actually make a call. Whereas in airlines, Europe, it happens, right? The, the payout for uh, the actual airlines is triggered by by cards, by yeah. cards and, twice in the game, and it's rewarded. It's a instead of a cash system, it's you're getting points based on how much, how valuable the route is, and how, and how much you, you own. own of it equals how many points you're going to get on that one. So that is my number four, Airlines Europe. Yeah, um, good thing that I put Monopoly in because it triggered that I'm off by one on all of these. <laughs> so my number three is Irish Gauge. The only thing to to add 
Um, on to that that Doug didn't mention, there's a three-player minimum, three to five players, and it's at that one-hour mark. So for me, it just hasn't gotten to play in my house for two reasons. One, my kids aren't quite there yet to play it. Uh, two, my wife hates stock market games. So the game, which I love, I love Irish Cage, and it's still in the shrink at my house. But I'm not getting rid of it out of my collection, and I think it would be a fantastic uh, late middle school, high school game. Mm. Um, any of the games in that series, I maybe I just like it more than the average human, but I, I think that is a fantastic game and a fantastic series yeah i, I agree. i've had to exercise a lot of restraint to not buy more games in that line so yeah all right my number three is a game called speculation published mm. originally in I 19, played that one yet. 1992 the version i have is not from 1992 published by queen games the designer is dirk hen uh that's also the designer of alhambra three to five players 45 minutes ages 10 and up is the, that the one with the bull on a cover with yes. a ring in its nose? Okay. Yes, the, the the gigantic bull. I guess Pit would be a good game on this list, too, now that I'm thinking about it as an honorable mention. But anyway, in speculation, there's a gigantic uh, track d- divided into six different sections. And as you move along, the, the companies move into different sections. And the... How far they are among the eight stocks in the game and in what section they're in determines how valuable they are. And the interesting thing about this game is there are wild swings in value. So there are two parts to the, the, the game. One is where you're drawing these tokens out of a bag, the active player. And some of those tokens have like a plus one or a minus one. That plus one means that you can move any company up above the next company mm. that you want. However, companies cannot share a space. So what happens? You get bumped you get up, bumped, bumped or even you bump farther. Them up. No, okay. that that one skips over that space. So it's possible that the 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 company that's in the lead could be six spaces in front of the next one. All of a sudden, with that one move, you can send the second place company all the way to the front. I need to play that. Or you can send that. it all the way to the back. And then you can buy and trade stocks based on their current value. So it's that buy buy low, sell high type of thing. Three player minimum again seems to be a, a trend. Yeah, huh? it needs yeah. that needs that interaction. But this is one where it's like you don't necessarily get rewarded for holding stuff. This is <laughs> this is not an IRA builder. Yeah. This is quick flips and and how fast can you do it? Because the they can really swing fast and you got to be aware of that so oh, cool that is speculation one my wife really likes and actually one of the f- earlier games in my collection yeah i haven't played that yet i really want to play that what year ish uh I, 1992 is the original okay. but i want to okay. say the other one came out probably in 2012 okay 13 cool well, number two for me, you mentioned Airlines Europe. I uh, played it. You brought it over when, when we were hanging out as, as a family, as, when our families were hanging out together. And I don't know if I'd cooked a brisket or something, but I was absolutely exhausted when I sat down to play it, and I fell in love with this game. I like <laughs> Alan R. Moon as a designer, um, but I really liked that payout mechanism and the tension and the push and the pull. 
the one thing to let our listeners know, if you're listening to this in 2022, this game is not easily available. Yeah. Noble Knight right now, real time, has it for $125 for sale. That's and, new and shrink, and I'm shrink, guessing. Yeah. And I have two active negotiations going on on Facebook Marketplace as we speak. But I don't want to pay $65 to get a game shipped to my house. I'm sorry. Not when my friend Doug has a copy, but I still really want the game. So (laughs) the dilemma of people who collect board games. Anyways, great job, Alan R. Moon. Rio Grande, please get your act together and publish another one of these, huh? Yeah, re skin it, retheme it, and put a no, new co- put just, a new coat of paint on it. Just reprint it. <laughs> just just print it. more copies of it. Use the exact same stuff <laughs> that you used. What? They don't make the type of cardboard anymore. You can't get that type of blue printed with the airplanes. The little miniature airplanes are so cool as they're moving around the board, and it's it's a nice game. Yeah, it's got a little bit of uh, some ticket to ride elements in there that if you but a little bit meaner in a great way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a it's it's. And when I say it, it, it shares some common some bloodlines yeah. with Ticket to Ride, um, with kind of a, a a river that you can draw cards from and the yeah. route building. Completely different game, but it has some connective Familiar tissue elements, there. Yeah. All right, my last two games. I was wondering if you're going to keep going with more gamer cliches. You got about twelve of them out there. And Did just I? Separate. That was good. That was um, really good. Doug. It's ingrained in my system now. <laughs> yes. I can't get it out. I've tried. Uh, the last two games are amazing and they both hit different areas so the my number two is going to be my number one favorite speculation game this is about goods and the value of goods and that is raccoon tycoon published in 2018 by forbidden games designer is glenn drover two to five players 60 to 90 minutes ages 10 and up now in- doug if our listeners wanted to hear more about that they could go to episode 40, where it was a recommended game of the week. Go they ahead. Could. Back to you, Doug. <laughs> yeah. So a fantastic game. I even forgot we rec- recommended that, but it is so good. It's a it's a great game in which you are acquiring goods uh, like lumber and um, what else is in there? Steel, those type of things. And, Iron, right? Is yeah. It steel? And you're increasing the value of it. It becomes more desirable. But then when somebody sells it, the value goes down. So you can sell it high and then it goes down. So if I can see that Michael's stockpiling a whole bunch of steel, I might try and sell some of mine before he does. Yep. So he's not going to make as much and you're using using that. You might want to do that, but that could also mean that you don't get to buy the character or whatever you want to buy. So the decisions in that game, what I love about it, there's always two or three things that I really want to do. So the internal prioritization that happens on every single turn, it brings me joy. I yeah. love that game. Is that is that your number one? Absolutely. Yeah. That's my number one. I didn't even write down the full stats for it because I thought you'd have it on there. Yeah. Raccoon Tycoon is a brilliant game, and Glenn Rover has designed some awesome games, um, and that's one that's in my collection. It's... Um, probably one of my favorite games that I've played in the last few years. If I had to just take 10 games with me on a trip, I'm probably going to grab Raccoon Tycoon and throw it in the game bag. Yeah, this is a great game. And like you said, we talked about it in the recommended when we recommended it, but this is a great game for teaching um, kids and people the idea of supply and demand. Yep. Right. And that, that value going up and trying to, 
sell it when it's high, get it when it's low, all of those type of things, and, and build up the value. Just a fantastic game. And do what you can do when you can do it and do the best that you can. That's yeah. what I like about that game because part of supply and demand – it's not simple. Yeah. <laughs> There's yeah. some complexity with supply yeah. and demand, and that game does a really nice job of getting at it. What's your number one, Doug? All right. Well, this was a no contest by a mile, Whoa. and I think this just is the finest game for a uh, entry-level stock market game, and this is a game called Stockpile 2015 by Navu Games. Brett Sobel, Seth Van Orden are the designers. Two to five players in about 45 minutes. Uh, probably closer to 60. But this is an amazing game in which stocks are put out. First of all, there's a little, everybody gets one piece of information. So there's maybe five or six stocks in the game. And every round, you have a little bit of insider information. Okay. You know that something is either going up or going down in value, or the stock might split, some sort of piece of information. Then there are, offerings put out one for each player and you are then bidding on those offerings but it's a great bidding system in that the the bids are listed on the board Mm -hmm. so you put your guy down on the five if you want to take that you have to put it on the next base on the 12 and i pull my person back the the bidding ends when everybody is on their own unique space so with that information one of the offerings might have you know, two of the stocks that are going up. And I know they're going up, but nobody else at the table knows that they're going up. Okay. So do I bid high on that? Do I bid low? You know, do I try and sneak in there and kind of bluff about it so I can get those stocks? And then there's the the next phase of the thing is where people take turns selling stocks. Mm. And so then when I see the person across from me selling all the automotive stocks, thinking, what does he know? Does he know that it's going down or does he just need money to bid for the more yeah. stocks? You know, so, so you're trying to guess the internal information in the person's head. Huh? Yeah. So there's everybody gets one piece of information and then there's one thing that nobody knows. And so trying to figure out what's actually going on mimics how I feel the stock market works where it's just like, why is everybody buying this all of a sudden? Maybe mm. I should buy it. Or why is everybody selling this all of a sudden? Maybe I should sell it. I'm guessing the reason why this has not been a recommended game is just because of availability? Correct. Okay. Because when I'm on Noble Night, I see they have a for $95 and $149. That tells me I can't actually get the game. That's why it's up there so high, huh? Yeah. And so Uh, it's so good. Everybody's got a a special power, you know, that gives them some special ability. Like you can be a... Billionaire, you start with more money than everybody else, or some person gets uh, to look at the other hidden information. You know, so just a fantastic game. I don't know where they are on a reprint, but I wouldn't be surprised if if it comes eventually. Eventually, it will. Eventually, very very well regarded, and and that is my number one. Sorry to interrupt you there. We'll we'll be covering it when it happens. Exactly. But Raccoon Tycoon is available. I mean, I just saw it last night at Barnes and Noble, and I, I see it right now on the Noble Night website. Um, so you can get your hands on that, but some of our top games, they are not available at the moment, are they? Yeah. And I think, I think that maybe has something to do with the, the subject matter that I think there's a kind of a narrow niche that this fits that, that type of a, of a game. And I think sometimes people in the, 
the family world maybe stay away from games like this because it's like, oh, it's going to be way too complicated and way but too mathy. No, the games that we're talking about outside of Carnegie um, <laughs> are, right. are all approachable games. And so I think there maybe is a limited audience of, of gamers that are not scared of that subject matter and that maybe they don't catch on the same way. Yeah, the complexity is all around, too, for these. Did you have uh, any honorable mention? I didn't. Okay. You know, and there's there's a lot of stock market games that I have never even played. Yeah. You know, that are that are out there and highly like regarded. Sidsex so. and Acquire yeah. is one. I haven't played that yet either. Um, Furnace is my honorable mention. So uh, you don't consider that a stock market game? I thought... You I That's why I put it in honorable mention. <laughs> um, but I just thought the the way that I'll stop before. <laughs> no, I just uh, was looking here on uh, the friendly Amazon, friendly local Amazon, and there's an Avalon Hill version of Acquire for the low, low price of $329. Well, there you go, folks. So, Rush out and get it when there's a steal like that available. And then let don't us waste. borrow it so yeah. we can review it. <laughs> full, full circle. On what we talked about in the opening segment about catching a deal, that's a deal. Go but get it. But I know I have seen that game at <laughs> oh, thrift sure. stores in, in different places as well. So. Yeah. All right. So that will do it for us this week. Uh, quick reminder to subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already so you can get updated whenever a new episode drops. And we do when we do that special convention episode for, for Mike. In the future. <laughs> he'll know when we get that out there. Uh, reminder to like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at GameSchoolerU. And lastly, thank you so much for spending the last hour or so with us. We really appreciate it. Now get out there and start game schooling.